0: Please open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 31, and we pray the Lord will bless today's live message as we continue to work through the second book of the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 31, Exodus chapter 31, look at verse 1 if you will. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezaliel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in cutting of stones to set them and in carving of timber to work in all manner of workmanship so you've got two gentlemen that are linked directly to the tabernacle and the Lord normally works in twos Moses and Aaron and here Bezaliel and also verse 6 Aholiab Jesus, John, Peter, Paul, Moses, Elijah, being the two witnesses, of course. And that's one of the reasons why the Lord would send out the apostles two by two. Verse 1 again. And the Lord, Jehovah, spake unto Moses, spoke unto Moses, a physical voice, which only Moses could hear, eyes to see, ears to hear. See, I have called by name Bezaliel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah tribe of judah the lord jesus christ is of course from the tribe of judah and here you've got one character named explicitly and i have filled him verse three with the spirit of god the holy ghost in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship he's fully equipped nothing is left to chance to devise to device cunning works to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in cutting of stones to set them, and in carving of timber, to work in all manner of workmanship. Cunning works, meaning specialist works. The intricacy of the work was divine through and through. Keep your hand there, and go to Luke chapter 6. If the Lord doesn't call you, you shouldn't go. If the Lord doesn't equip you, you shouldn't go. It's all of the Lord. And of course, we are looking at service, never salvation. And from Luke chapter 6 verse 12 it says the following and it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and when it was day he called unto him his disciples and of them he chose 12 whom also he named apostles verse 14 verse 15 verse 16 and if you have a Schofield reference bible in the middle part, the margin, it says personal election, that's incorrect, C.I. Schofield was a one point Calvinist, but somebody once said this, "I uh, I was an Arminian up until the cross, but once I got to the cross, I am now a Calvinist, meaning that I am now saved, because Calvinists believe in once saved, always saved, the Arminian view teaches one has free will to be saved, but once you get saved, you are then a Calvinist, or you are like a Calvinist, predestinated to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that time, you are forever safe in the Lord Jesus Christ. One more time, verse 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray, 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 and continued all night in prayer to God. He chose his apostles in time, not before time. He chose his apostles for service, not salvation. John chapter 1, they're already saved. And here, verse 12, and verse 13, and verse 14... <coughs> Verse 15, they are being called for service. Got to watch these guys. Go to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. So Christ prayed all night. And out of at least 80 people, he chose him 12. And of course, one of the 12 would be Judas Iscariot, who's linked to the tribe of Dan. And I'll speak about that in a few more moments. But Romans 16 fits nicely with Luke chapter 6 and also Exodus chapter 31. Romans sixteen. Romans uh, sixteen. Look at verse seven. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, fellow Jews, and my fellow prisoners. They've done time like I have. But also in reference to serving the Lord Jesus Christ, a bondman, a bondwoman of the Lord Jesus Christ, who are of note among the apostles. They are known by the apostles. But look at this, comma. Who also were in Christ before me, they got saved before me, nobody was saved before the foundation of the world, go back to the book of Exodus, you got saved in time, you got saved when you believed, Ephesians chapter 1, and then you were predestinated to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, 31.2, see I have called by name Bezaliel, the son of Uri, son of Ur, tribe of Judah, So the first man named in the Old Testament who was linked directly to the tabernacle comes from the tribe of Judah. Jesus Christ was a Judean Jew, linked to the testimony, the covenant, the new covenant. Jesus Christ is linked to the temple of our bodies. And here verse 3, And I, Jehovah speaking, have filled him with the Spirit of God. I have filled him, I have called him, I have given him, you see, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom. And in understanding and in knowledge. And in all manner of workmanship. He can't possibly fail. To devise cunning works. To work in gold and in silver and in brass. And in cutting of stones to set them. And in carving of timber. To work in all manner of workmanship. So this character verse 2. And also the character from verse 6. Were both chosen in time. The 12 apostles were all chosen in time. Nobody, nobody, nobody was ever chosen before the foundation of the world to be saved. Because nobody existed before the foundation of the world. The church didn't exist until the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Look at verse 6. And I, behold, I have given with him Aholiab, the son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan. And in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I have put wisdom, that they may make all that I have commanded thee, the tabernacle of the congregation, And the ark of the testimony. And the mercy seat that is thereupon, And all the furniture of the tabernacle. Furniture. Such a modern word. You rent a property. The first thing you want to know is. Does it have any furniture? Six times the word furniture appears in chapter 31. It's only found uh, elsewhere in the book of Genesis. Furniture to do with the tabernacle. But verse 6 again. And I. Behold I have given with him Aholiab. The son of Ahishamak. Of the tribe of Dan. So Dan is working with Judah, six and two. Jesus, tribe of Judah, antichrist, tribe of Dan. Incredible. And in the hearts of all that are wise hearted, I have put wisdom, that they may make all that I have commanded thee. Leave nothing out, add nothing. The tabernacle of the congregation, and the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is thereupon, and all the furniture of the tabernacle. And the table and his furniture and the pure candlestick with all his furniture and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all his furniture and the lava and his foot and the cloths of service and the holy garments of Aaron, the priest and the garments of his sons to minister in the priest's office. Continues to build. So go back to the Old Testament. Think about the Old Testament. Think about this piece of the Old Testament. Contrast that to the New Testament. Contrast that to the Gospels. Contrast that to the epistles. People working in twos, like I say. And here for the Old Testament, you've got a physical building, a physical property. And connected to this physical building, this physical property is furniture. Table, candlestick, altar of incense, altar of burnt offering, lava in his foot, cloths of service, holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments of his sons, to minister, to serve me in the priest's office and the anointing oil and sweet incense for the holy place according to all that according to all that i have commanded thee shall they do so the first 11 verses is a continuation a further explanation explanation as to the purpose of the tabernacle we've just spent the last 20 months looking at the build-up to the jews arriving in the promised land and now Bezalel verse 2 Aholiab verse 6 are going to work side by side to build the tabernacle again john the baptist jesus christ worked closely to initiate the temple of the holy ghost peter and paul worked very closely post the death burial and resurrection of the lord jesus christ look at verse 12 and the lord spake unto moses saying speak thou also unto the children of israel saying verily my sabbaths ye shall keep for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. Keep your hand there and go to Ezekiel chapter 20. Ezekiel chapter 20 and look at verse 18. And I said unto their children in the wilderness, walk ye not in the statutes of your fathers, neither observe their judgments nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. And hallow my Sabbaths, and they shall be a sign between me and you, that ye may know that I am the Lord your God. The church wasn't mentioned once. Gentiles are nowhere to be found. Look at it again, 18. But I said unto their children in the wilderness, Walk ye not in the statutes of your fathers. Pre the law, neither observe their judgments, nor defile yourselves with their idols. One of the reasons why the Lord wiped out millions pre and post those in the days and times of Noah, be down to their idolatry. I am the Lord your God. In reference to the children of Israel, walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. And hallow, consecrate, sanctify, make holy my Sabbaths, and they shall be a sign between me and you, that ye may know that I am the Lord your God. Paul says, before you got saved, you were without Christ, without hope, lost in the world. Go to Colossians chapter 2. The Sabbath is a ceremonial aspect of the Ten Commandments. Only one day in a Jewish week was to be put aside for the worship of Jehovah. Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. One day a week. Contrast that to the moral aspect of the Ten Commandments which you were to do seven days a week. It's important that people who are saved understand the difference between the Old Testament, the New Testament, Israel. And the church, unfortunately, a lot of people no longer take the time to rightly divide the word of truth. Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, look at verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days. He's got two groups of people in mind, saved Jews, that were still sensitive to the Sabbath, Jewish feast days, and also Gentiles. Be careful how you do what you do. Don't abuse your liberty in the Lord. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon. Going back to Elijah back in the Old Testament when he was sent to raise a dead child and the parents of the dead child said, We can't go and see the prophet because it's not yet time, it's not the right time, there isn't a new moon. Or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow. Of things to come. Present tense. Which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. Go to Zechariah chapter 14. So when Paul wrote that. Around 64 AD. Herod's temple was still up and running. Saved Jews were still going to the temple. To worship Jehovah. But saved Gentiles going to the tabernacle. The temple to worship Jehovah. I don't think so. They would have been asked to leave. Zechariah 14, Zechariah 14, look at verse 16. And it shall come to pass, that everyone, that everyone that is left of all the nations, which came against Jerusalem, Matthew 24, Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats, Revelation 19, which came against Jerusalem, shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, Messiah, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. Go back to Exodus. So all of the feasts in the Old Testament, as far as I can see, are going to reappear. 31.2 again. See, I have called by name Bezaliel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Keep your hand there and go to John chapter 10. When the Lord calls somebody by name, that denotes something special, obviously. That denotes a personal ministry, something which... You couldn't possibly uh, miss. He calls all men to repentance. He grants all men repentance. Has drawn all men unto him. But Matthew. Excuse me. uh, But John. John chapter 10. It's even more personal. John uh, chapter 10. Look at verse 3. To him the porter openeth. And the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name. And leadeth them out. There's a picture of the rapture. Patrick come forth. James, come forth, such and such, come forth, Lazarus, come forth, to him the porter openeth, and the sheep, that's you and I, hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out, go back to Exodus 31.3, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom and in understanding, And in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. But did you notice something? The spirit of God was put inside of Beziel. Bezileo, excuse me. Put inside of him. Not just on him. And most Christian scholars teach that in the Old Testament. Saved people were anointed with the Holy Ghost. He came upon priests and prophets and kings. But here, verse 3 says, I have filled him with the spirit of God. I have filled him. Having just come upon him, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship. Incredible. To devise, to devise, to do cunning works, specialist works, like I say. To work in gold and in silver and in brass. And in cutting of stones, to set them. And in carving of timber, to work. In all manner of workmanship. Keep your hand there and go to Isaiah 63. So, Bezalel was filled with the Spirit of God. Aholiab was filled with the Spirit of God. On one occasion, King Saul had just had a meeting with Samuel. And I'm currently reading 1 Samuel, getting a great blessing. And after meeting with Samuel, he goes back into his community. And en route back into his community, he comes into contact with prophets. And it says how the Lord changed him into a new man and he gave him a new heart as well it does suggest that king saul was born again i don't know if you were to press me i would say that the new birth technically scripturally is a new testament doctrine but the more i read the old testament the more i look at passages such as king saul or aholiab the more i think just perhaps they were born again because the spirit of god would enter into them Isaiah sixty three, Isaiah sixty three. Look at verse eleven. Then he remembered the days of old, Moses and his people, saying, "Where is he that brought them up out of the sea, with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he that put his spirits within him, not on him? Within him. All of your Bibles, modern Bibles, will change that to be anoint, to come upon him like an anointing, but here." It says, where is he that put his Holy Spirit within him? Moses was indwelt with the Holy Ghost. Go to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. And look at verse 38. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? Now I appreciate that Pharaoh was an unsaved man, a pagan. And yet wouldn't Caiaphas say something similar? John 11 concerning Jesus, which was correct. Wouldn't Nebuchadnezzar say something correct about Daniel? Daniel chapter 4, which was correct. Just because somebody isn't saved doesn't mean they don't always tell the truth. Can we find such a one as this is, a man, in whom the spirit of God is? Concerning Joseph, of course. Go back to Exodus. So just a quick detour to show you something which I thought was important concerning the Holy Ghost either coming upon someone, in the sense of anointing someone, or entering someone, in the sense of regenerating someone. 31, 12, again. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, not the church, saying, Verily my Sabbaths ye shall keep, high Sabbaths, weekly Sabbaths, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. Not a supernatural sign. Not a mistake that Schofield would make. And also Ruttman. There isn't anything supernatural about the Sabbath. It's a physical sign, not a supernatural sign. A weekly break, if you will, to come together. That ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. Jehovah in the Jews, not Jehovah in the Church. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore... For it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death. Capital punishment. For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. I'll speak about that in a few more moments. Six days may work be done. But in the seventh is a Sabbath of rest. Holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Capital punishment. You breached the Sabbath, you lost your life. You killed someone, premeditated, you lost your life. There's no delineation. You dishonoured your parents, you back-chatted your parents, you cussed your parents, you cursed your parents, you were put to death. No delineation whatsoever. It's like Romans chapter 1. The last five or six verses, you got around 19 sins. Read it sometime. You've got murder, you've got fornication, you've got adultery, you've got gossip, you got haters of God, backbiters, heady, traitors. Paul links and lumps all those people together. Mm. And he says, those people, and in the context, unsaved people, are worthy of death. Not only those that do those things, but those that take pleasure in those that do those things are also worthy of death. Wherefore, verse 16 the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations, for a perpetual covenant. Old Testament, not New Testament. The Jews, not the church. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. Rested in the sense of not being tired, obviously, but in the sense of rejoicing, in the sense of glorifying himself. Like, look what I've done. Look what I've done. Look what I've been able to do. I am the Lord God Almighty, I shan't share my Glory with anyone else. 18. And he gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of communion with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony. Tables of stone. We say it was written in stone. Tables of stone written with the finger of God. Go to Psalm chapter 8. Look at verse 3. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, What is man, that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man, that thou visitest him. But thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honour. Go to Job 19. Hand of the Lord, finger of the Lord. All expressions denoting something hugely significant. Job 19. Job 19. Look at verse 21 have pity upon me, have pity upon me, O ye my friends, for the hand of God hath touched me. The hand of God hath touched me. Go back to First Samuel. The hand of God hath touched me. I don't know about you, but many times I feel the hand of the Lord upon me, not in a good way, in a bad way. I feel pressed down at times. I feel under great pressure at times. The Apostle Paul would certainly go through it. He speaks about being in the deep. He speaks about uh, some pretty heavy situations that he would go through and anybody who preaches or teaches on a regular basis knows what I'm talking about 1st Samuel chapter 5 1 Samuel chapter 5 look at verse 6 but the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashdod and he destroyed them and smote them with emerods, emeralds, even Ashdod and the coasts thereof Philistines, Old Testament of course And when the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, they said, The ark of the God of Israel shall not abide with us. For his hand is sore upon us and upon Dagon, our God. Now here it's in reference to judgment, basically. The hand of the Lord is upon the Gentiles. He's going to crush them, break them down. But sometimes the hand of the Lord can be used against God's people. Hebrews says if you're never never chastened or chastised, you are a bastard illegitimate not a speak as experience maybe you don't have any regular problems maybe you don't have any times you feel pressed out of measure held down beaten whipped in a not physical sense obviously but it feels like it sometimes paul knew what it was all about so if you go through church history david brainard knew what it was all about john wesley knew what it was all about the more you preach the more you teach the more you try to do anything for the lord the more you feel a pushback it's hard to explain it Look at verse uh, 9. And it was so that after they had carried it about, the hand of the Lord was against a city with a very great destruction. And he smote the men of the city, both small and great. And they had emeralds in their secret parts. Basically, they have tumors, bleeding piles. And I looked up an article yesterday which said in Syria, right now, this is what they are experiencing. Bleeding piles, tumours. Look at verse 12. And the men that died not were smitten with the emeroids, emeroids, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. Just think about this for one moment, if you will. You've got perhaps thousands of people, Gentiles, begging the Lord to heal them, and he refuses to. Begging the Lord to save them from their pain, and he refuses to. And on top of ignoring them, going back to... That terrifying passage from Proverbs 1. Laughing when they call upon me. Mock them when they call on my name. Not only are they crying. And their cry goes up to heaven. But the Lord just ignores them. Destroys them. God is punishing the Gentiles. The Philistines with bubonic plague. Basically. Excruciating pain. Men and women. Dying in their thousands. Pleading with the Lord. And the Lord just closes his eyes. Has no interest in what they are doing. Like 1939, 1945, 3, 4, 5, 6 million Jews, perhaps more, perhaps less, went to the camps. El Gabor, El Shaddai, El Elyon, Jehovah, Shabbat, save us from these heathen Nazis, mostly Catholic, incidentally, and the Lord just ignored them. Closes ears. Proverbs chapter 1, when they call upon me, I will laugh. He that sitteth in the heavens, he that sitteth in the heavens will laugh. When they call upon me and hear these Philistines are crying out to Jehovah, not Jehovah's people. Go back to Exodus 31. And Jehovah says, too little, too late. It's a terrifying thought. If you're not born again, how in the world will you get your sins forgiven? If you're not born again, you've got no way, no way to be made right with a holy God. So Exodus 31, only 18 verses deal with the tabernacle. Two gentlemen who appear to have the Spirit of God living inside of them, not on them, but inside of them, like King Saul, which suggests to me that perhaps they were born again, but I won't commit myself and say that for sure. I've always been of the belief that the new birth is a New Testament doctrine. But the more I read this, the more I think that just perhaps it would be possible, and was possible uh, for the Old Testament, greats to be born again. The Ten Commandments are placed inside of the Ark, hence why it's called the ark of the testimony also it's called uh, the holy ark and the ark of the covenants of the lord of all the earth two gentlemen are going to be equipped to build the tabernacle of the lord but the fascinating part for me is one is from judah one is from dan the two most on the one hand infamous people denoting the antichrist and the most famous person that has changed the face of the world, or has changed everything that we know to be so, being Jesus Christ, both come from two tribes. Jesus from Judah, Antichrist from Dan. Two Jews in the Old Testament, good Jews, verse 2, verse 6, working side by side like I say. Harmonize that, or, or consider that in light of Jesus and Judas. Jesus, and Antichrist. At the end of the day, it comes down to one of two Jews. Either you are with Jesus, tribe of Judah, or you are with Antichrist. tribe of Dane. Both chosen for service in time. Not before time. Nobody again is chosen for salvation before time. Because again nobody existed. Before time began. Before the foundation of the world it was just God. Just God. Not even angels were present. Just God. But when time began. And I gave you Luke 6. Jesus Christ chose him. Twelve apostles in time. Not before time. And again chosen for service service not salvation i'm an armenian up until the cross i'm a calvinist post the cross it's a clever way of expressing something but it has some legitimacy in it i've got a book here from 1881 which i was very kindly given maybe 10 years ago and it was re-released in 1972 uh, by a guy called mackintosh but the footnote that I've got is from 1881. Wow. Quote The Sabbath was a seventh day. The Lord's Day is the first. The Sabbath was a test of Israel's condition. The Lord's Day is the proof of the Church's acceptance on holy, unconditional grounds. The Sabbath belonged to the old creation. The Lord's Day belongs to the new. The Sabbath was a day of bodily rest for the Jew. The Lord's Day is a day of spiritual rest for the christian if the jew worked on the sabbath he was to be put to death if the christian does not work on the lord's day he gives little proof of life that is to say if he does not work for the benefit of the souls of men the extension of christ's glory and the spread of his truth in point of fact the devoted christian who possesses any gift is generally more fatigued on the evening of the lord's day than on any other in the week For how can he rest while souls are perishing around him? That was from 1881. So there was a distinction between the Sabbath for the Old Testament, capital punishment, and public shunning, obviously, for your family members, for you breaching the, the, uh, the Sabbath. And as the quote just said, if you didn't keep the Lord's Day, if you neglected the Lord's Day, you basically dismissed the new birth life and rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll close it there and pick it up next week, Lord willing, from uh, Exodus chapter 32.